Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Hopefully today we will conclude the beginning of this chapter and, and uh, move, into, move into some more application. I'll just read the first six verses here as, um, as we try to cover that this morning. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We'll, uh, we'll come back and we're going to look at verse 7 here in just a little bit. If you remember, you know, it's been a couple of weeks, so kind of uh, refreshing. And by the way, if you uh, are writing down titles or interested in a title, um, this is the Full Grown Body Part 2. Okay, um, got to come up with something better next week. At any rate, so we the first three chapters here we we talked about were um, doctrinal, and Paul laid the basis for what he was going to tell us to do and how we were to live as we moved into chapter four, and he's beginning that here with what with uh, with this passage that we read. He gives us some attitudes. Uh, some fruit, perhaps, of the Spirit. Um, so he, he, he begins by saying, a prisoner of the Lord, and I think it's, it's uh, maybe good to talk about that. We already did once, but just by way of reminder. The biblical principle overall is that our lives are to be oriented vertically. The horizontal response that Paul's going to talk about here, you know, in just a minute, humility and gentleness and patience. Is a, the horizontal response, or the way we we function out here horizontally with one another, is a response that is driven by our vertical relationship with the Lord, and it's that calling that we have with Him that that should change the way we live in this world. We respond to this world because of Christ and through Christ. And He is supreme and He is preeminent. When um, we get involved in the, the rationalizations and the pragmatisms of this world, trying to reach a conclusion, reach an end, the, the, and... and Say the end is good, and so the means are justified. We we must always remember that we are first to be oriented vertically. Everything we do is to bring honor and glory to Him. Not just the end. Everything we do is to bring honor and glory to Him. As a matter of fact, we get this all out of whack so frequently because that's the way the world works. The end is in God's hands. The result is in the Lord's hands. Our job is to be obedient to Him and respond to Him. So, that's where we are now. A lot of the material that I'm going to give you today about these uh, character qualities uh, that 
the, the apostle, the Lord through the apostle wants us to have are, are going to come from uh, Henry Ironside's commentary on the, uh, on the Ephesians. He did a really good job breaking this down, and I, I've taken a lot of material um, from him. Notice he says here that we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that that is actually kind of a picture of a balance scales, that one side is to equal the other side. It's an impossibility because the work of Jesus Christ, the work of grace from God in our lives, we can never equal it. We are always in debt to what God has done. But it is, it is the goal, it is the aspiration that we're to have. We're to, we're to, we're to, we're to breathe that. We're to focus on what he has done and respond in such a way. I'm, I want to read to you a, um, just a short quote here about grace. And um, I'll preface it by reading verse 7. Now, we didn't read verse 7 this morning of chapter 4. Because in verse 7, he kind of begins to move into this next section. And in this next section, we talk about the body growing up and maturing and every, it talks about the evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, etc., and how the body grows up. And we will talk about that here in the days to come. But look at verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And then, therefore, it says, and he talks about the ascension of Christ. And again, we'll talk about that. But I don't want you to notice here. Grace was given to each one of us. Um, Paul is very specific to be individual with this, not corporate. Most of our churches today function on a corporate mentality. Paul just got done talking about unity. The things that he talks about in unity, though, have to be applied individually. So our individual actions are what will contribute to corporate unity. Um, We cannot live a vertically oriented life if we believe that the things that are done are done by all of us. Let me put that in another, uh, rephrase that in another sentence. If I'm walking as a child of God, living my life before Him, the most important thing to me is what He wants me to do, not what He wants us to do. The us comes in when each one of us lives that vertically oriented life and makes his will our top priority. Let me read to you. This is from The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. We pursue God because, and only because, he first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. No man can come to me, said the Lord, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And it is by this Prevenient drawing that God takes from us every vestige of credit for the act of coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God. 
And the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. And the time we are pursuing him, we, uh, excuse me, and all the time we are pursuing him, we are already in his hand. Your right hand upholds me, he, the author quotes of scripture. In this divine upholding, the human f- uh, and human following, there is no contradiction. All is of God. God is always previous. Now, we've said this to you in a different way for years and years, and that is that God initiates and we respond. When we follow after the Lord, it's because the Lord put it in our heart. It's all God, not any of us. Don't think you've had an original idea or original thought. It's all God's grace. If you, if you get a desire to pray, you cannot take credit for it because it was the Holy Spirit that put the desire in your heart. Um, you can take credit for not doing it when the Lord tells you to, but that's kind of on the other side of the spectrum, okay? I'm gonna, actually, let's try not to talk about that today, all right? <laughs> it's all God's grace. Now, if you... Um, <clears throat> uh, I tried to put a little teaser about this in uh, uh, I made it like a four-minute YouTube video that I know some of you saw and put a link to it on our Facebook page. If you're not connected there, I encourage you to do that. Um, our Facebook page is just a Lakeview Community Church. Our YouTube page that we put stuff on is called Ecclesia Real, E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A-R-E-A-L. And we put little videos in there. And I, and I put a little video in there um, about grace and um, morality and materialism. Because in our modern church, we have equated our obedience to the Lord with blessing. And we're going to talk about that more as, as things unfold here as we, as we move through here. Um, but, but beware. I, and I'll just give you an example. We are taught to forgive so that we can receive blessings. Probably every one of us in here, if you've been to church any amount of time or have heard, heard a sermon on forgiveness, there has been an emphasis on the fact that if you forgive someone, good things will come to you. You'll have freedom. You'll have liberty. And, and there's a whole list, list of things. And sometimes there's even um, passages from the gospel that are kind of quoted out of context to do that. What are we doing there? We're exchanging morality. Do the right thing for materialism. God's going to give me something. When we get in the New Testament, Paul says this. Um, be kind, tenderhearted. Some of you know this is a song. Forgiving one another. Why? Because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Paul boils it down and says, why should we do this? Because we want to emulate God. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. We should forgive others. So we want to emphasize grace as we move down through this. And uh, if, if we do not, and if we begin to take credit for some of these things, then we're missing the goodness and blessing of God. The, the flip side of that is, if, if, you, if you feel you're, uh, you're being humble, <laughs> okay, 
maybe that was a bad, let me, that's not a good one because it's, you know, everybody's going to go to the, get the humility award. If you feel you're being gentle and you did a good job being gentle and you take credit for it, beware because the flip side of that is, is that when you're not, you're going to feel terrible before the Lord. If you're responsible, you're responsible. Let's go down through some of these things. Um, firstly, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you call with all humility. Um, in Philippians, Paul gives us examples of active humility and service. And one of these days we're going to talk about this. He begins in, in the book of Philippians by talking about himself as a prisoner of the gospel. He talks about Timothy in the book of Philippians. He says, I have no one like Timothy who will look after your needs because everybody else looks after their own. Timothy will look after you. He uses Epaphroditus when he writes back to those people. He says, you guys sent Epaphroditus here. And while he was here, he served so much and he was such a great servant that, that he ended up getting sick and we thought he was going to die. So he talks about Epaphroditus' selflessness. And, um, and then he ends by talking about Jesus, who, said, who he says of Jesus, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant. So <clears throat> this word humility is actually lowliness. And he's talking about the way we think about ourselves. And it's only used in Philippians 2.3. The only other place this Greek word is used is in Philippians 2.3. And I've already mentioned this. Um, everything we've said before that, before this, should connect into this. As believers, we have earned nothing. We do not get what we have from the Lord because of wages. We cannot make a claim before God for blessing. All that has been received has come to us apart from 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 any merit on our part. There is no boasting and there are no demands. So when we talk when we talk about uh, humility or lowliness of mind, it's 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 how we are perceiving and thinking about ourselves. Verse 2 continues, he says, with gentleness. The King James Version says, meekness. And most of the time in the rest of New Testament, when this word is translated, it's translated meekness. Seven other times it's used. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. it says, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and what? Lowly of heart. That's, that's, that's what he's talking about here. And the actual definition of gentleness here is that in our spirit, we do not take offense. There's no lashing out. Um, have, you ever, have you, you ever thought about this? If you pull all of the things together or pull many of the things together, I shouldn't say all, because I'm probably not going to be complete with this, but if you pull many of the things together uh, about Jesus, that are said about Jesus in, in the Gospels, um, he was accused of being a drunkard, 
He was accused of being crazy. He was accused of being demon-possessed. He, 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 it was, he was called a Samaritan, so they, were, they used a racial epithet against him. And yet, Peter says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. Gentleness or meekness. Moses was meek until the Bible says he was the meekest man that ever lived, interestingly enough. Moses didn't defend himself, but he did defend God. And uh, actually, when at, at times when he defended God, the Lord says, well, here, let me explain this to you. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. So, humility, gentleness, or meekness. Also, it says, patience. Words used 12 times in the New Testament. Patience. <laughs> uh, it's one of, the, one of the other more descriptive translations. It says, long-suffering. Ironside translates this. He says, to endure with unruffled temper. Um, we're going to look as we move through the New Testament and we're going to see that in, to endure or endurance is a quality the Lord wants us to have. This world, folks, is not ours. We, we live here. We're, we are in it, but we're not to be of it. We are to draw our essence from the Lord, not from this world. And when he says world, he, he, he's not talking about the creation, the physical, natural creation that we see is a part of it. But that's not all there is. When he's talking about the world in that aspect, he's talking about this whole system. He's talking about a way of thinking, a way of seeing, a way of understanding the, how things work. So we're, we're to be in this world, but we're not to get our essence from it. We're not to be of it. Patience, the word patience here loses something. And uh, it, it, it's... It, it's often understood today as doing nothing. I'm just going to wait, you know. I'm just going to, just going to wait. Uh, the Old Testament has things to say about sluggards and slackards. Um, this word is not about doing nothing. We'll elaborate a little bit more on this in just a minute. It's not about doing nothing. It's about enduring. It's about hanging in there when everything tells you to bug, bug out. It's about holding your tongue when everything says to talk. It's about dealing with your own emotions when your emotions are riled and coming to this 
trying to come to the surface and you're dealing with it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Patience. It also says, bearing with one another in love. And I, I didn't like that translation at all, so I just put the old one in. Forbearing. Forbearing. Um, the only other use of the, of, the, of the word is Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, and that's it, it's, forbearing is used there. It means to put up with. Okay? Now, most of us use the term to put up with and before it, we, we use a little phrase, something like, I'm not going to. Are you with me? I'm not going to put up with that anymore. Quite the opposite of what this says. That we're to do this, we're to put up with one another in love. Now, we've used some words here. We've used um, long-suffering. I mean, just... (laughs) Isn't that a great word? I know why they changed it to patience. I mean, long-suffering is like a negative, isn't it? It's not seen as a positive. Is it seen as a positive in God's eyes? Think about Joseph. And I I still remember decades ago I heard someone talk about Joseph, and he said, you know, every, every step that Joseph took that went down in man's eyes, he went higher in God's eyes. If we live a vertically oriented life, we're going to see things that go on in this world in a different way. And Paul wrote us these things. Holy Spirit asked Paul to write these things for us so that we would have the perspective of seeing things differently. In, this, in today's culture, in modern Christian culture of victory in Jesus and victory in faith, putting up with something seems like a foreign concept. Shouldn't have to put up with anything. I've got the authority of the Almighty God. I'm a son of the King. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And we can, we can, we can characterize it that way, but that's not correct. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. This putting up with also gives the needed nuance that we need to understand the word love. We've, we've perhaps been led to believe that, uh, that where love is, there'd be no need to put up with anything. Uh, obviously, if you love somebody, there's absolutely nothing they could do that would ever stretch your patience. Hey, don't elbow your mate. That's not, not going to go well later on, all right? Love here is not an emotion, but a reason and a motivator. So that knowing God's love, because we know God's love, it, it defines and, and uh, characterizes our actions. It, it, it puts banks around our, and keep our actions and keeps our actions and our attitudes in the right channel. Let me read to you um, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read part of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, so much of this 
this is often read at weddings, at least it used to be, I don't know. When you read 1 Corinthians, you find out that there was a, a, that congregation of, of people who were there that Paul was writing to correct had all kinds of problems. So one of the problems was they couldn't get along with one another. And they were even using, using spiritual gifts and things to lord it over one another. Which is why 13 comes in between 12 and 14. That don't get, you know, Paul didn't put 13 on there, but he wrote this, you know. Listen to what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, believes all things doesn't mean that, you know, you get all your information from the internet. You know, that's not that what it's talking about. It's, it's talking about the relationship with, with other people. That you believe that God is going to do something good in their life. All right. Let's go back to chapter 4. So he has covered humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing. And then it says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Does, does anybody here in verse, the beginning of verse 3 has a different, have a different first word? I'm sorry? Diligent. Be diligent. All right. Is that what you got? Endeavoring. Endeavoring. All right. Eager is, uh, eager is good, but the other words are better. Because this has to do with us exerting what influence and energy we have to keep the unity of the Spirit. Eager is good, but you can be eager to do something and never get it done. But if you get into this thing as I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, this is, this is my goal, this is what I'm going to do, then you get actively involved in this. You're, and it's to be the, the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit produces unity and works to preserve it. So in me, it, 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 it put this in context of all this other stuff here. In me, it tries to, the Holy Spirit, he will try to keep me from being odious or obnoxious or any of those unloving things that we read about. In you, he will try to keep you, uh, to help you be patient and forgiving. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He will try to convict me so that I will ask your forgiveness. Now, we can flip all of those things around, and, 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 and you probably should. So what does it mean? The Holy Spirit is going to try to keep you from being odious. He's going to try to help the person that you're dealing with be long-suffering and forbearance. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. 
And, and then if you are the one who's the problem, the Holy Spirit is going to say, you know, you need to apologize. And if you listen, he'll tell you that. You need to ask forgiveness and go and make this right. And, and, and so that's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That's, and our yielding to him is what it means to be diligent or to endeavor or to be eager, as this translation puts it. And it's, it's God doing all of those things within us. And I hope you can see who's at work here. He is the workman. And we are the workmanship. That's what we read in chapter 2. We are his workmanship. And he's created us. And we always think, again, so much institutionalized stuff. We think about he's created us in good works. And we always think about witnessing or singing in the choir or going on a mission field. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But where where we really live is with our attitudes and our relationships and whether or not we can be able to keep unity and whether or not we're actually living this vertically oriented life that when the Holy Spirit says, hey, you did that wrong, we're broken before Him and we call on Him and we ask Him to forgive us. That's called repentance, folks. We get broken before God. Lord, please forgive me. And then we go and do whatever is necessary to that other person to clear clear everything between us and the Lord. The other person may not forgive us. That's in God's hands. But we go to them and we say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. Here's, here's what I've done. I, I, I didn't realize the Lord showed me how wrong I was. And please forgive me. And, and then we're clear, before, we're clear with the Lord. All right. So let me give you some practical stuff here. I got, I got a little... Um, the problem with going two weeks on a sermon is it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Okay, so I, I I forgot one of my notes. I left it down in my basement. <laughs> forgot to go get it. Let me give you two extra points with this. Number one, the application of each of these principles requires insight that comes through prayer and biblical understanding and a sense of the situation. Say, well, the other person was offended with me, and then you, so they're offended, and you say, all right, was, was, I, was I unloving? Was I unkind? Was I arrogant? And, and you go down through this, and, and, and you have to understand what these things say. So there's got to be some biblical understanding. That there also has to be some discernment and a, and a sense of the situation of what's going on. And that doesn't mean you can't go to them. You can go and say, hey, I notice, I, I think that something's wrong here. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know what I did. Help me. You know, and, and you can go with humility and ask that. But you have to have a sense of the situation. And it's also true with, with them because you, you may know that they're going through things. And that may help you be patient and forbearing and, 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 and be humble before them. Um, sometimes you have to speak the truth and the truth may need to be defended even if it looks like self-defense. We live in a Christian world, folks, where, where too many of our Christian leaders are afraid to give anyone offense. I'm not talking about that thing that borders our property. 
Not, not, not offense. Offense, okay? They're afraid to say anything that someone could be offended at. And because of that, they skirt around the truth. None of these things, humility and gentleness and patience and, and, and uh, forbearing, none of those things are of value if, they're, if, if, it's, if it's not based in truth. So, uh, we can't get formulaic with this. I guess is what I'm trying to say here with this first point. Yes, we're, 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 we're to be humble and, and, and we're to walk in humility. That does not mean we can't say, no, that's wrong. I'm sorry, that's wrong. I hope that's understandable. I hope you understand that. Number two. And I kind of touched on this a minute ago. There's very little here that's fun. It used to be, I'm, I may get in trouble here. If you're listening to this on the tape, um, my email is Pastor Jess at LakeviewHamilton.com. <laughs> there used to be a church called Happy Church. Bless their hearts, but that's pretty shallow. And most of us don't live there if we're honest with ourselves. When you read down through these things about what the Lord wants us to be, humble, gentle, patient, long-suffering, there's very little in that that has to do with fun. As a matter of fact, every single one of them can denote an unpleasant experience. There is no humility without humiliation. The Apostle Paul would not have to tell us to do these things if it wasn't the natural order of us to do the opposite. If, if, it, was, if it was the normal thing for us to just roll along in enjoyment with everyone around about us and there was never any difficulty or frustration, then the Apostle Paul wouldn't have to tell us to do these things. And in every single one of these things, when you, when you line up with the Lord and say, Lord, what, do you, what is it you want me to do in this relationship? And, and he says, I want you to be humble. There is suffering involved in that. I want you to humble yourself before them. When he says, I, I want you to have patience, or I want you to suffer long, you know, is there suffering involved in long-suffering? Yes, there is. That's right in the Word. Please get over this stuff that once you come into Jesus Christ, everything is wonderful. Roses are all over the place, you know, wonderful flowers, and you're just traipsing through the fields, and everything smells wonderful, and even the bees love you. It's not in the Bible.
I don't know why those hard things came in that extra week. All right. Now, seven unities. Let me give these to you real quick. And then we'll go on from here. Seven unities. Body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and God the Father. So he says there is one body. And that means that all believers, regardless of language, uh, ethnicity, culture, nation, are all part of Jesus Christ. There is one body and there is one head. Folks, there is no such thing as a local body. We gather here locally, but we are not a local body. Jesus doesn't have bodies all over the place. He's got one body, and he's the head. One spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit, who dwells in every believer. I'm going to read to you um, from Romans chapter 8, a couple of verses here, because they apply to a couple of these points here where's Romans it's a big book I just I lost it all together there it is Romans chapter 8 alright verse 9 you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Hang on to the second part of that. We'll come back to that in a couple minutes. So there is one spirit, and it's one spirit that dwells in every believer and animates or gives life to every believer from the head, Jesus Christ. He brings life, and he brings righteousness. Now, the interesting thing is, it says there's one hope. And and Paul says we are called to that one hope. Let me read it here. Hope you're following along here. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. You know what that hope is? The resurrection of the dead. And that's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If that spirit who dwells in you, who dwells in believers, that same spirit that dwells in you, who dwelled in Christ, just as he raised Christ from the dead, he's going to raise you from the dead. I read. I read. Uh, I was reading a, a biography of C.S. Lewis, and um, interesting thing um, that he pointed out having to do with Lewis, but it, it had to do with a whole lot of other things um, with Christianity and and the doctrinal divide, uh, even among Lewis's day, um, and it carries on to today. It goes back to the Apostle Paul. If you believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, there is a line of separation there. 
If you believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, then that he's going to raise you from the dead. In other words, you're going to live eternally because of the resurrection. It separates you from non-believers even if they say they're a Christian. In another place, this is called the blessed hope. The promise of the resurrection is called that thing which purifies us. Why do I want to live the way the Apostle Paul? Why do I, why do I want to endeavor to keep, I'll use that, it, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Why do I want to do that? Because one day I'm going to stand before him. That's the hope. One Lord. Okay, one body, one spirit, one hope. One Lord, Jesus the Messiah. One Lord. Notice he is Lord. You cannot separate Savior from Lord. The one who is truly saves recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now we may not we may not understand it all on the same level. There may be lots of growth and maturity and we're all growing in that understanding and the rest of chapter 4 talks to us talks to us somewhat about that. We're we're all growing in that. We're all gaining, through the Holy Spirit, gaining experiences that help us see more about it all the time and help us apply these things that the Apostle Paul talks about here in these first few verses of chapter 4, more and more that process of sanctification. But if, if, but if we think that Jesus saved us and we don't have to obey him, then he probably hasn't saved us. One faith. Well, i got a couple more. Are you still with me? All right, one faith. What is that faith? That faith is the body of truth. It's not salvation faith. It's the body of truth. The story of salvation that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The gospel, the good news. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of good news that shall be to all people. That there is a Savior born to you this day. The body of faith. And that body of faith, when we expand it past that, tells us about God, it tells us about ourselves, and it tells us about the world. One baptism. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. This baptism has nothing to do with water. This baptism has to do with what the Holy Spirit does to us when we believe. He places us in the body. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole baptismal thing today, except that the church... I'm an old guy, folks, and I'm cynical. And one of the reasons I'm cynical is because I've watched all this stuff for almost 50 years. And I've read things that happened long before this. There are some people who will do anything they can to get you here because when you're here, you can hear them. And that, that may be good, okay? When you're here, you can be with other people. And that may be good. When you're here, you can give. 
You can be a part. You can put your name on the roll. There's good and bad with this whole thing. They'll do a whole lot of things to get you here. Some of the people tell you that you have to come here and have the minister baptize you so you can be part of the body. This book says that it's the Holy Spirit who baptizes you into the body. And that's what he's talking about here. And then the real baptism, the water baptism thing that we do is a picture. And then one God, the Father. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord thy God, I will give my glory to no other. There's never any place in Scripture where God says, I've got to go consult with these other gods. One God and the Father of us all. Let me read it. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, um, beautiful kind of benediction. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One God. Let me give it to you again. One body, one spirit, one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's eight. No, that's seven. I just got my fingers in the wrong order. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we live in a broken world. And... We, we are broken ourselves. But by your grace, we see things that the world doesn't see. We hear your spirit. We, 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 somehow in the inner man, we know things that the world doesn't know. We read your book and we see things in your book that the world reads it and can't see it because of your calling and your grace and your goodness. And because of all of that, because of all that you have done, you ask us to live in a way that this world doesn't live. That we live selflessly. That we live for your glory. That we live for the betterment of those around us. Not just for ourselves. That we live so that those around us may see our lives and glorify you, and so that they may glorify you in their lives. And Lord, all of that, all of that is hard. And if it wasn't for your grace, we couldn't do it. But in your grace, and in the power of your Spirit, we can conquer I pray you lift our eyes to you. I pray you'll help us depend upon you. Lord, we may encounter even this week things that we don't know what to do with. And we may wrestle between ourselves and others or ourselves in the world. 
I pray you'll help us see that that wrestling is the most wonderful thing because that is the spirit within us striving against the brokenness of this world and rejoice in that. And we can trust you to lead us in the right steps so that you in the end will be glorified. We thank you for your patience and your grace and your favor. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.